hear me. А вы что, собираетесь на ней жениться? Да. Ух, красота-то какая. Лепота. Таможня дает добро. И вообще не называй меня, пожалуйста, Вероника. Кто я? Вот кто я? Отныне русские земля единый быть. Hi, my name's Ali, and this is the Rus Files Unite podcast, where we watch Russian films and films with a Russian connection. As always, I am joined by a guest, and today my guest is Samantha Burkhead. Hi, Sam. Thank you for joining us. Hello, it's my pleasure. Okay, so before we talk about the film that we're going to be watching today, Sam, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I am currently the news editor at the Moscow Times. Um, I'm based here in Moscow, Russia, and I've been living here for about a year and a half. And yeah, mainly, I guess I write about culture and arts, but also just anything related, related to social issues or... Kind of general news? Yeah, general news. Um Literally anything. Yeah, the the Moscow Times was very much a staple of my life in in Moscow as as someone who's Russian. I mean, it's still not brilliant and certainly is incredibly rusty. But um, for the first few years <laughs> I was there, that it was basically non-existent. Just having some kind of like means of like finding out about what was what was going on and. You know that was broader than just Western coverage of Russia, which seems, which is like very limited to kind of like the really, really kind of big deal stuff. So, as far as journalism is concerned, is that something that you always wanted to do, or how did you kind of get into the profession? Um, I mean, I studied journalism in college, and um, I mean, for me, it was just always knowing that writing was my thing that I was good at. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, like, if I could write books, I would totally do that. But journalism seemed like a way to just like, almost like, help people become empowered to make changes in their lives by like giving them information, like, mm. that's like free and, you know, fair and balanced. So yeah, I mean, journalism, <laughs> that's pretty much where that yeah. took me. It's one of those things that certainly, growing up, I think I kind of took for granted that to have access to like quality journalism from people who were like writing in good faith and trying to present things like in a in a fair and balanced way um but i think like the importance of that has just really really been uh underlined by the uh the last few years in our uh, like respective countries yeah for sure it's um i mean It's becoming more important than ever and it's it's like always a challenge because you know people become increasingly disillusioned with the media at the same time so mm, yeah yeah for for certain politicians on on i mean on either side of the uh of the, of the spectrum like a a favorite punching bag is is the media it's like oh well the media is misrepresenting this or they're not telling you that or yeah i think i mean Obviously, like anything, it's it, it's not it's not perfect, but I, I think there are there are plenty of people working in the field who are just really doing their best to to get information out there. So, yeah. Um. So I also saw that during your your time at uni. Sorry, I'm just doing the the UK parlance rather than college. <laughs> um. Uh. You you actually spent a a bit of time studying in Northern Ireland. I was. Really interested to ask about your experience doing that. It's true, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, how did that come about? And was your experience as a student in Northern Ireland like 
massively different to the States or, or was it quite similar? Um, I mean, basically, so I went to a university in the US called St. Bonaventure and it's like a very small Catholic university. And like, I chose it because like five Pulitzer winners among their journalism alumni. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. So St. Bonaventure has this thing, kind of like this agreement with other Catholic universities in Northern Ireland, and it's called, like, the Irish American Scholars Program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And basically, like, I mean, if you get accepted to the program, you get to go abroad to um, a school in Northern Ireland, and the tuition is basically paid for. So that was, I mean, like, my family's Irish, and, like, I've always, uh, okay. like, you know, had background there. Um, so, I mean, the chance to go there... It was just an obvious one. Um, Mm. I mean, I didn't know that much about, like, the Northern Ireland, the ways in which it's different than the South. And, like, you know, the American school system is, like, not great sometimes. (laughs) And especially, like, you know, I had no knowledge or awareness of, like, the troubles or any of the sectarian Mm. conflicts. So, like, I mean, it really opened my eyes to that part of life for them and the ways in which it still affects people. Yeah, and it's and it's of course incredibly topical right now with the UK negotiating what what's going to happen to it now now that the UK has left the EU. I mean, uh, I won't get into my views on on that particular question, but uh, yes, it's uh, I I think um, it's ignorance of the situation with regard to Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland is not limited to your side of the Atlantic. I think um, I think it's not covered well, uh, at least my experience was that it, it never really came up at school when I was at school. And sure, British people of a, of a certain age, like I'm just about old enough that I remember the tail end of the of the troubles. Like I can remember like going to libraries and seeing like notices of like, please report any like unidentified bags that that you know look suspicious and i remember asking uh my mum why that was and you know you'd hear like of bombings on the news and stuff and i was just like in secondary school when the good friday agreement happened so it it was something that was very much like on my mind but not everyone follows the news so <laughs> so there you go um as as far as like, I I've never actually been to Northern Ireland. So um, were were you in were you in Belfast or were you somewhere else? Yeah. Um. No, I was in Coleraine, which is like this oh, okay. small city up on the north coast. Um, it's very close to like the Giant's Causeway, if you know. Oh that yes, is. of course, yes. So yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful part of the country. Um, just very like green <laughs> and rural, but like, um, yeah, I mean. I went to Belfast a couple times as well. I would usually go there on the weekends. Um, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's probably like slightly more to do there than yeah. Yeah. And yeah, how about like the classes and the general student experience? Was it broadly similar, or was there anything that kind of like like set it apart? And you went, ah, oh, this is not this is not how things are done. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely like a little bit. It took a lot of adjustment for me because. American classes, even in university, like the teachers are like paying attention to like everything you do and mm. they give you homework like every night for, you know, so you'll have like three or four classes and they'll each give you homework like every night of the week. Um, in the UK, I mean, you go to each class one time a week mm. and you have no homework. It's just like one big project at and midterms and then a big final project. And I was like, this is way too much independence for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think, I think that was, yeah, quite a shock to the system for me moving from a levels and the end of secondary school into university was that suddenly like you're on an extremely long leash uh, all of a sudden, and I found that was <laughs> appalling for my for my work discipline, and not least the fact that in my first year, none of the marks contributed to my final result when I finished. It was basically like the first year of university. Again, I don't know whether this is still true in in the UK, but the first year, basically, as long as you passed, 
the subject that you were going to major in, you got to stay in university. So it was kind of like, it doesn't matter if you just scrape it. So I just, yeah, um, particularly my first year, I just (laughs) was not a very diligent student by... uh, by a long stretch, and yeah, I can I can def- definitely imagine that was that was a, a, a shock to the the system as well for you going from from a more kind of like I don't know a more supervised approach, and definitely what you've said chimes in with uh, uh, with what my wife's told me about her experience at university. As long time listeners will will know, Carrie's from the from the states, and yeah, I was just kind of like, wow, that is so different um i mean there's there's definitely pros and cons to both approaches but i I think i'm glad i had the experience that i did but at the same time it was kind of like it was a it was a bit of a a struggle to get back into to re re find a work ethic having kind of like lost it yeah Um, for sure like for even like these long-term projects that you have to do like having the diligence to not put it all off until the end I don't know how people do that. Like, I, it's uh, just not in me. Like, <laughs> neither do I. As somebody who basically like would pull an all nighter for most of my final projects, and to be honest, unfortunately, what what happened on the few instances where I didn't do that is that I actually end up getting like slightly worse marks. So it was kind of like, okay, life is teaching me the wrong lessons here. Life should be teaching me the lesson that like, if you pace yourself and do things properly, you do better. But no, my <laughs> my like last minute, like Coca-Cola and Hobnob fueled <laughs> uh, essays. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, that was my, that was my like, university like all nighter ritual was like a full two liter bottle of coca-cola and a packet of chocolate hobnobs it was deeply (laughs) ill-advised your body's like please give me some nutrients (laughs) (laughs) yeah but in my like sort of 19 20 year old self it's like no i need caffeine and sugar and that will get me through Oh my goodness, so irresponsible. But but anyway, um, yeah. So so moving on from uh, university, then moving to Moscow and working for the Moscow Times. Was there like an existing interest in Russia that contributed to wanting to do that, or was it more of a just like it, it seemed like a good idea at the time? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean a little bit of both. <laughs> no, like I have always been just fascinated with Russia stuff since I was like a child. Like I think it started mm. when I was like maybe 10 and the the winter Olympics were on and I was looking at the figure skating and I was like, you know, I just saw like all these Russian figure skaters and they were amazing. And I was like, mm. so just like spellbound by them. And um yeah, I, I think it started from there. And then eventually like I would learn about the, just the history and the culture and the literature. And there's just so much richness in this mm. country. Yeah, definitely. I think I, I have like very similar story. It was just like one of those places that for some reason was always kind of on my radar. And I knew that Russian literature was a big deal. And I, and then I like read some at university and that just, I guess, just kind of like, meant that when I was looking for places to work as an English teacher, Russia just kind of stood out a bit mm-hmm. more. So yeah, yeah, it sounds like sounds like a kind of a, a, a similar story. Um so yeah, so you've been in Moscow getting on for two years now. How did you feel upon like just moving there? Did it surprise you or like how how did it compare with what you thought it might be like? Um, I mean, I had been to Moscow once before in 2018. Oh, cool. But it was just for like a week. And it was part of this program for like kind of international diplomacy, which is like, I'm not a diplomat at all. And I have no foreign policy background. But it was like, I just wanted to go to Russia. And this program was like, for journalists and young people and like Mm. policy and stuff. Anyway, back to my point. When I first moved here... I think I was still definitely shell-shocked just by, like, I mean, my Russian was still not great. I had studied it Mm. maybe for two years before I moved here. Um, So just, 
learning how to navigate everyday life, like even just going to the grocery store, like, and figuring out like how things are different here and like what all the foods are named. Um, but like, yeah, even like, I don't know, on a bigger level, it was definitely like, I, I guess I was just so American and you're so used to American culture and music and TV and all that stuff. So like, I was a little bit out of my element. Gotcha. People don't really laugh at my memes here. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, which is obviously, yeah, ex- extremely distressing. <laughs> yeah, it was a big, you know, reality check. Yeah, I can I can remember when I first came back to the UK for like like more than a few days after I'd been working in Russia for a year. I can just remember like everything around me seeming like deafeningly loud because I'd got I'd had a year of like almost kind of like tuning out the conversations around me because I basically couldn't understand anything anyone was saying. So suddenly just, you know, actually being able to like eavesdropping again, like even though you're not deliberately doing it. Like you don't even want to know what they're saying, but you can't help but understand it. No, but it's just, it's just like you've had a year of like it just being effectively like to me background noise to suddenly being like, Oh, I can what? <laughs> there's there's all this stuff around me that I can actually understand. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember that being a very bizarre like sensation, and yeah, just and obviously like the fact that it's Cyrillic everywhere is 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 very much a kind of like oh, I am in such a foreign place. Even though you know, obviously, it's quite quite a superficial difference. It, it is it, it just kind of smacks you in the face more than if you're. I don't know. I I studied in Denmark when I was at university mm-hmm. and just you know, having a sort of idea of, of what things said and not having to kind of like spend a second or two like almost like sounding it out in my head. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, to be able to read things. Okay, so um uh, in terms of the the stories you've covered so far working at, at the Moscow Times, what have been the like the most interesting ones or your favorites so far? Um well, I did a story this spring when it was at the height of lockdown and everything with the coronavirus, and I found out about this online orgy. This. Oh yes, I think I did see that. Story. Yeah. So I mean, basically, it's this organization that usually runs these huge like sex parties in person, but like you obviously mm. can't do that during a pandemic, so they switched to having these like mass orgies through Zoom. Which is, like, Mm. I just thought it was, like, what? Like, that's so, like, amazingly unique. And, like, that's the kind of story that attracts me. Like, just things that are, like, so, like, attention-grabbing. And, like, just, like, things about Russian life that people outside of Russia don't expect. Or um, I really liked doing that story. I actually, (laughs) I mean, I went to the event in question and my eyes were opened to um a lot of new horizons but no it was just it's a great story because like it is like this really cool environment that they have because it's like all about exploring your sexuality and like knowing your boundaries and respecting your boundaries in like a safe controlled environment which is like you know obviously great so um Mm. that was good I, i suppose the people like setting it up probably have to work quite hard to make sure that it is like an environment where people are treating each other with respect. Yeah, of course. And... Yeah. Yeah. They were like, they have like kind of like this moderation system and everything. So, um, mm. yeah. And like, for me, for example, like, I mean, I love my face, but I didn't really want to be showing my face in this zoom call. So I, I just mm. had my video off and that was totally fine. Okay. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. So, obviously right now with the with the pandemic uh, traveling i'm guessing is uh, is really quite difficult but yes. pr- prior to the, the you know the year that is 2020 had you had much of an opportunity to travel outside of moscow it's kind of ironic because i feel like i've done more traveling in russia this year <laughs> because mm, i oh, okay. because i've been stuck inside the country sure right right but um yeah let's see i mean I've been to St. Petersburg a few times. Um, it's always great. And then this mm. year, I went to this place outside of Moscow in the Kaluga region, and it's called Nikola Lenovitz. And it's like 
this massive art park in the middle of nowhere, basically. I yeah, I saw your your story on that. That that looked that looked very cool. It's a really cool place. And I saw you'd also been out to Baikal, which yes. is <laughs> something I I always meant to do and then never got around to it. So uh, yeah, how was that? Yeah, it was amazing. That was kind of my fear that I would live in Russia and never go to Baikal. Like so, I was like, I'm just gonna do it now because. You know, like Drake said, YOLO. <laughs> Sorry, that's like a 10-year-old reference, but like, it's fine. Ah, whatever, whatever. Um, Yeah, Baikal was just magical. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's it's one of my big regrets about my time in Russia was that it, it was something I just kind of kept putting off. And then like, suddenly I like had to leave and... And that was just something I didn't, I, I'd never got around to. So I'm hoping one of these days I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get back to, back to Russia and, and, and go out there. So yeah. And, and your, your photos from there just looked absolutely like as incredible as I would expect yeah, it to look. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, I'm really glad that you managed to, managed to get out there. Um, so we should probably move on to the, uh, the film that we're actually going yes. to be talking about today, which is um, Anastas. Uh, I'm trying to decide what pronunciation even to go with. Probably uh, Anastasia. Once upon a time, although I guess the Russian pronunciation should be more like Anastasia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this has actually had some coverage in the Moscow Times, shall we say? Yeah, I mean, the people were speaking about it on Twitter. The people were at Twitter, so I wrote all about it. <laughs> Yes, it's um, to say that reception to it has been mixed in Russia might be a bit of an understatement. I think saying it's been mixed is giving it a little bit of a generous characterization. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So I saw that there's even been hashtags on Twitter of hands off Anastasia and hands off our history. So it seems like it's really like, touched a nerve. Yeah. And. Rightfully so. I mean, from what I've seen of the movie so far, it's like, it doesn't really respect Russian culture or like the Romanovs in any way that's like, I don't know, they kind of deserve better, even though you can have your opinions about the Romanov family. Like, oh, of course. And oh, believe me, I do. (laughs) We all do. But like showing Anastasia, like eating spaghetti out of her hand is a little bit you know, like, come on, guys. She was like a princess. Yeah, say what you want about royal families in general, but generally they are not slouches when it comes to etiquette. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that that just seemed like uh, a bizarre decision. Like, I read, I read your article and I watched the the trailer, and definitely there were quite a few bang your head on the desk yeah. moments, even in that short couple of minutes so i guess i guess the question is like why are we even covering it on this podcast and if i'm being brutally honest it's just because it's being it's being talked about so i kind of thought like the least i could do is actually is actually watch it and i really appreciate you taking the time to like (laughs) you know endure what's probably not going to be a fabulous experience so yeah i'm grateful (laughs) that you were you were up for it. And I, I, I should say, uh, our previous guest, Michelle Birdie, who's your colleague, Sam, mm-hmm. at the uh, at the Moscow Times, kind of put you up to it. So yeah. <laughs> I guess you've got her to thank. Exactly. You know, I'm just suffering for my art, that's all. Uh, oh, yes, which, which you know, is, is obviously an important, like, rite of passage for, for anyone in a yeah. <laughs> creative <laughs> profession, definitely. So, so yes, um, basically, I made the mistake of putting whether I should watch this film to a Twitter poll, and it was a resounding, yes, yes, we should. And, yeah, obviously... As everyone knows, Twitter polls are binding, so I guess we're stuck. We're stuck watching the film. Yeah. But but yeah, um, Twitter correspondent, I guess Ian Garner, actually like when I announced the results, uh, <laughs> replied, "I highly recommend you don't do this." <laughs> uh, oh, what have we got ourselves ourselves in? in he tried for? to warn you. 
He did, he did. And um, yeah, uh, another person who uh, who I follow, uh, Victor Tatarski, also said, I mean, I'm not an optimist about it being good, but I salute your courage. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we're in for an interesting time. But before we, before we start, I, I feel like it might be worth kind of like comparing notes on previous versions of the uh, uh, Romanov story that we might have each scene. So, yeah, I mean, what else have you seen that's been about them and their lives? Um, I mean, basically, I've only seen the cartoon from, like, 1997, um, which is iconic. Oh, okay, the Don yeah. Bluth, Bluth, however you pronounce that. Yeah, I've only ever seen seen bits of it, and, I mean, the animation looks beautiful, and um, it was interesting seeing, like, the reaction to this movie that we're watching for the podcast in that there was quite a few people saying that the animated movie was a way to like add fantasy elements and still be respectful so i kind of thought that's interesting Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i don't know what russian responses to anastasia the animation like back in the late 90s when it came out was but uh, from what people have said it seems like it's trying a bit harder to be respectful yeah And I mean, from what I remember 20 years ago, you know, it never resorted to these like lazy stereotypes Mm. about Russia that, you know, we're kind of seeing now. Yeah, I can definitely, from from what I I saw in the trailer, it did seem to be like leaning heavily into like, oh, aren't Russians weird and funny, which is just never a good way to be talking about other cultures. It's just sloppy. So... I mean, maybe we'll be... Yeah, like, they're not backwards. No, right. And, yeah, certainly it's it's a very different place from from the West, but if you're going to tell a story about a place, you you should at least, like, do your do your homework. Yeah, make an effort. <laughs> so on, on the podcast, we've already covered uh, Nicholas and Alexander... Ex- Alexander... Alexandra, um, which is, like, a three-hour epic from the early 70s. Another mm. version I have seen, which I might eventually get around to covering, was that there was a uh, a nineties HBO TV movie with Alan Rickman as Rasputin, basically telling the Rasputin story. Oh, go figure. Yeah, the subtitle was Rasputin, Dark Servant of Destiny. So <laughs> I love that. I'm signed up. I'm first in line. <laughs> I'm getting my tickets right now. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that one is that one is a, is a very mixed bag. I mean, Alan Rickman is just too damn handsome to be Rasputin, um, <laughs> which is a bit of a fundamental problem. I mean, yeah. mm. it it does seem like Rasputin, if the stories are to be believed, were, certainly um, was a person that many women found attractive, but certainly the the photos don't like it's kind of like oh well you obviously had to be there because he he just looks like a very weird man listen we've we've all got our separate tastes everyone's right. into different things i'm not here to judge it, indeed yeah yeah shouldn't be yucking someone's yum and all that but uh some some women love beards like the unkempt uh, un, unshowered thing i guess but yeah that that was that was yeah. that's a weird movie but i i suspect even that was uh it was better than what we're about to uh about to put ourselves through but hey yeah we're not prejudging in any way <laughs> right uh so Never. we should we should get on with this then um what we like to do as we launch into the film is say a little bit of russian and the little bit of russian that we say is payekhali which just means like off we go so right yep. Okay, so three, two, one. Payahali. Sam and I have just watched Anastasia, 
Once Upon a Time. And before we let you know what we thought of it, Sam's going to give us a quick rundown of the plot. So if you haven't watched it yet and you don't want to know what happens, this is where you should pause the podcast, go away and watch the film and then and then come back. So spoiler alert. Okay, with that out of the way, over to you, Sam. What is this movie? <laughs> so the year is 1917, and the Imperial Romanov family are just living their lives and attending balls and doing things that they do. Rasputin and Anastasia are close friends, and... Oh best, my best God. buds. <laughs> I'm trying to, like, remember what even happens in this movie. <laughs> but then Lenin and his boys crash this ball and basically vow to overthrow the government, as they do. And Rasputin, in an effort to save the family, opens up this time portal, but only Anastasia is able to make it through, and it sends her forward 80 years into the year 1989, and she ends up in Wisconsin in the U.S. And basically, like... She kind of wanders around and she finds this girl who's about her age and she kind of follows her around and eventually the girl is like, who are you? What are you doing? And they become friends. She figures out that something's kind of off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, your dress is not of this time period at all. Like, what's going on, sis? So, um, but yeah, they become friends and uh, do teenage girl things. But like, obviously, like, Anastasia, is, she kind of identifies herself as Anna, right? Annie, no, Annie, which is like... Annie, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Because Nastya is a little bit of a kind of like thing to get your head around. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and then, I don't know, they just go to the mall and do a bunch of stuff while Rasputin, meanwhile, has been cursed by this witch who... She's like the sexy witch who hangs out with Lenin. And she curses Rasputin. Because, I mean, everyone knows about Lenin's sexy witch witch friend. (laughs) I mean, that's definitely a real thing that happened. Um, Yep. (laughs) But yeah, she curses him and orders him to find Anastasia and kill her. So he jumps forward to the future and kind of wanders around the mall at the same time. And yeah, I mean, it's basically like a little chase. And then what happens next? I guess you'll have to find out. Indeed, yes. We, we we mustn't we mustn't spoil the ending. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, it's kind of like like these two short bookends of vaguely the fall of the Romanov slash the Russian Re- Revolution, but like most of the meat in this uh, poop sandwich. <laughs> sorry, I'm spoiling my uh, my review already. Is this kind of like f- double fish out of water? quote-unquote comedy with um, Annie, as we'll call her, and Rasputin in, uh, like, late 80s uh, Midwest. Yes. Does Wisconsin, Wisconsin counts as the Midwest, right, oh, Maya? Yeah. That's <laughs> okay. very Midwest. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, so I've kind of given the game away with my thoughts already, but what did you think, Sam? <laughs> So I actually, like, as the movie was playing, I was, like, taking notes on my phone and my notes app. (laughs) And the first thing I wrote was, it's probably for the best that I don't have access to the nuclear codes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was Uh, just, yeah. So, yes, uh, it's a good thing that most people don't have access to to the nuclear codes. But can can you elaborate? Is this like some kind of preemptive self-strike before, you know, (laughs) so you can wipe out the West before before Russia does it for us. Probably, yeah. Or just, like, <laughs> specifically target this movie studio and everything in its periphery. and um, <laughs> Or just the entire world. I think humanity at this point, maybe it's a lost cause, you know. <laughs> this is kind of like the, the, the final straw. Yeah. <laughs> There's no recovering from this. Bring the curtain down. Yep. Okay, so, so you didn't like it much. <laughs> um, I mean... I laughed a lot, but, like, probably not for a good reason. (laughs) Mm, Yes, yeah. I laughed a lot, and I don't know how much of the laughter was due to it being genuinely, like, campy fun, and how much of it was that I drank several 
glasses of wine during the duration just to kind of like yeah (laughs) self-medicate a little bit yeah so it's difficult to know whether I would have found anything funny but it's definitely I think I maybe laughed at one thing that I was meant to laugh at and that's about it (laughs) maybe two things that's generous but yeah uh, <laughs> yeah, like I say, it may have been it may have been the the alcohol talking. Um, so now that you've watched it, does the furore from certain Russian social media users make more or less sense? I mean, it definitely makes sense, but like I think most of the people in uproar about this have not seen the movie or like. Mm. The thing to realize here is that this is not like a big budget Hollywood movie. This is not like the best that America has to offer. So I think maybe Russian people don't realize that. (laughs) It's very important to take that into context. Like the company responsible for the production is literally called Conglomerate Media, which I have never heard of before. And also like when you're choosing a title for your company, why do you choose like the most generic like i had to like triple check this because i assumed it was a parody or i assumed that it was just some kind of like blanket designation uh for like i don't know for uh productions made by like a collection of tiny studios but but no apparently this is a this is an actual company and somebody actually thought it was a good idea to call themselves conglomerate media but yeah absolutely it is is low budget fair <laughs> so i mean i guess like from my perspective i just don't think it's worth getting upset about like no one's gonna watch this movie this isn't what american people think about russia it's just like garbage and um kind of like criticizing it almost like amplifies it and gives it free publicity which oh yeah i i feel like putting out this episode i'm like, yeah we're part of the problem some kind of <laughs> exactly so <laughs> yeah so whatever you do, folks, don't watch this movie or talk about it. Just pretend this this episode never nope. existed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would say switch off now, but yeah, that's all. <laughs> See you guys on the next one. But that's 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 yeah. That's that's a rather self self defeating uh, <laughs> yeah. approach. Yeah, no, you you you're absolutely right. Like, I think getting upset about it does tend to indicate that one is not necessarily aware that this is this is not exactly Warner Brothers doing this. This is just inexplicably somebody managed to convince someone to fork over a certain amount of money to make that. Like, I just don't understand how this was pitched to somebody. Like, the most logical conclusion I can come to is that someone was... Lo- uh, was looking to do some kind of tax write-off. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, do you have, like, f- particular favourite, like, lowlights as opposed to highlights of the movie? One thing I really liked was um, Alexei, the youngest child of the Romanovs. He has, like, this... Oh, he yeah. had, like, this emo Spider-Man, Peter Parker haircut. Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> I never really clocked that. It was that. so good. But, like... <laughs> what it's like justin bieber almost. yeah <laughs> yeah well, well and also in terms of like styling choices um brandon ruth uh who plays nicholas the second my goodness he's he's fallen a long way since playing yeah. superman what like 15 right. years ago or whenever that was apparently he was unwilling to either grow a beard or wear a false beard for this so you kind of have this like rather odd spectacle if you know what nicholas ii looks like and probably if you have any interest in russia you kind of know know what he looks like he has no beard he's incredibly smooth shaven and it's just like okay that it just seems like a very basic if you're having this character be in your movie like at least kind of try to make him look sort of what he looked like I mean, he looks like a Disney prince or something. Yeah, he's he's way too like young and handsome to have multiple daughters in their mid to late teens. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's it it's so it's so ridiculous. Another one I think was uh, just at the ball in the beginning. I mean, 
they kind of make Anastasia out to be, I mean, she really sympathizes with like the orphans and she wishes everyone could come to this ball in Russia. Like, and then like these orphans just randomly show up and then the littlest kid starts singing and it's the most painful thing. Oh, that was toe curling. That was absolutely toe curling. And I was like, if this is going to be a musical the entire way through, I'm out. Like, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were further musical interludes, yeah. but yeah, mercifully, it wasn't too much. Yeah, that is pretty much the only way this could have been actually worse. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like this, this like freakish dubbed performance because this kid is you know clearly way too young to be able to actually hold a note so she's kind of like badly miming to it and in that whole sequence i love the fact that rasputin despite the fact that in early 1917 he is already dead so there's that uh i I double checked his murder was on the i think it was the 30th of 30th of December, 1916. So, you know, uh, yeah, so he's not around. But, like, he tries to persuade Nicholas that he should invite Lenin to this to this ball because it, he is, like, the future of Russia or something, or the Russian people are with him. Yeah. Um, it's, <laughs> it's just, like, <laughs> this is so stupid. But I think we should, I think we should talk about Uh, Rasputin more generally like what did you think of their interpretation of him (laughs) I mean clearly like they thought he would be like kind of the punchline or something like he's got like a beer Mm. gut but like he's just so many things in this movie he starts out as being like the good guy and like you know their best friend and everything and then he yeah yeah uh Nicholas Nicholas literally says to him about Anastasia, sometimes I think you are her only friend. (laughs) It's just like, right? Oh my god. But yeah, and then like, he gets cursed, and then he kind of just lumbers around in the US for the rest of the movie, just like, making all these faux pas while like, this kind of like, semi-Russian music plays in the background, and it's like, oh, look at this man and how funny he is, because he's Russian, you know? Yeah, which I can see being... If you're a Russian viewer of this, just being like, "Oh, come on now." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in 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 some senses, him being a fish out of water and not knowing how to behave makes more sense than than Anastasia herself. Because I think I think there there were reports that, like, in polite Saint Petersburg society, one of the things that stood out about Rasputin was that you know he was a peasant from like. Yeah. The sticks so he really wasn't up on like the manners and that was one of the reasons he kind of stood out but but also this this film almost like apart from when he's turned into a kind of like manchurian candidate by lenin's witch mm. friend he's presented as being like just this kind of cuddly benevolent counselor yeah. and it's just like that's not who no. he was <laughs> he's a lot of things but i don't know about cuddly yeah, no, he was like the nicest thing you can say about him is that he was a creepy weirdo and very much a chancer. I mean, I think opinion is divided over like whether he actually believed in his own like spiritual ab- abilities or whether he was just mm-hmm. a con man. But like this, this just totally he's magical in this, but this, this like totally glosses over the the fact that he was like a very problematic figure who really abused the position of power that he found himself yeah. in. And like so. his role as one of the main catalysts for the revolution because people were so unhappy with the royal family. Yeah, he was he was definitely a kind of like just a symptom of like the family being out of touch and just like okay, so you let this completely inappropriate outrageous man like into your into your household and he's apparently influencing yeah, policy. Pulling the strings. Like uh, I mean that's pretty much why my understanding anyway, why he was murdered was that members of the aristocracy aristocracy was kinda like this is this is a threat to the survival of yeah. the regime. So if we get rid of him, 
no person, yep. no problem. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yikes. Um, yeah. So, so what kind of antics do we have from him in the in the? I was going to say the present day, but it's it's the late eighties. Yeah. Well, I mean, he well at first he kind of teleports accidentally to Disneyland, and then he's like, "Oops, like wrong location." And then he he also like has this scroll of a map that's like able to track Anastasia based on her necklace. Like there's a tracking device in her necklace. And like, I like how the map is like basically like Google maps. Like it updates automatically where he is. <laughs> it is. But also it bears a, a suspicious resemblance to like a clue or Cluedo yeah. map. So I was, you know, it was <laughs> wanting to make jokes along the lines of it was Lenin in the basement with the revolver. <laughs> But that's that's probably in poor taste. Um, uh, anyway, we can we can possibly return to that. But yeah, that was uh, an interesting little yeah, gimmick. Yeah, and then <laughs> you know he tries to navigate the bus system, and um, the bus driver is way too patient with him. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, he he would he would just be yelled at like, and told to yeah. told to get lost. <laughs> um, and then eventually he makes it to the mall where he's kind of accidentally drafted into this fashion show for like villain costumes yes yeah it's it's literally a hot topic (laughs) fashion show and as somebody who didn't grow up in the in the states i i have only kind of like picked up a little bit about hot topic kind of through cultural references over the years so for non non non-american listeners what is hot topic well as someone who was deeply you know i wore hot topic like i went shopping there all the time like i was super emo Um, I mean, it's basically like a little clothing store with like band t-shirts and like really like gothic and punk and emo inspired clothes. Um, Mm. and it's every mom's like worst nightmare. (laughs) If you say you want to shop a hot topic, they're like, oh my God, here it goes. Um, (laughs) my kid is turning into a goth slash emo. Yeah. But I mean, they would never like, it makes no sense for them to do this kind of fashion show. Like so many things are confusing about that yeah it it is very random why why they're doing that and of course they just assume like like, oh cool costume man yeah get out there on the runway oh and he also participates in some in some break dancing yeah he's like kind of walking around the mall and then he sees these two guys just break dancing like in the middle of the mall like you do and he's like hey i'm gonna show you my dancing skills so like he kind of starts doing this like Russian dance thing to show off and then he tries to start imitating the break dancing and it's just a mess. <laughs> it's just so uncomfortable. Yeah. It's like him spinning slowly round in circles on his backside. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz you know, break dancing's hard. <laughs> I guess at least they didn't like crappily like sub in a, a dancer like a with body his, double with his, yeah a body double who was like skinnier and yeah. oh my god could actually break dance that actually oh, kind of sweet yeah <laughs> yeah um and how about annie what what does she do to amuse herself in in her newfound late 80s american home well she and her newfound friend whose name is megan i think like they yeah they play on like this derelict playground and she learns how to ride the swings. And um, then they go to the mall, naturally. And yeah, they try on a bunch of clothes. Yep, there's like a little fashion montage. <laughs> it's like a half an hour. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do feel like they're like padding for time quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. And then they randomly stumble across this like concert of this pop star in the mall. And like they sneak to the backstage part somehow and then they end up on the stage with the pop star and like the singer is just like oh hey you guys are here this is so cool and they like yeah they try to dance and it's like the worst thing ever (laughs) and and then the pop star goes and hangs out with them and goes shopping with them for like an hour after after this concert Yeah, and she's, like, their best friend all of a sudden. Yes. I also want to point out that um, I think, like, probably, like, 90% of this movie's budget was spent on acquiring the rights to use Time After Time by Cindy Lauper. Like, mm, I was yeah, very yeah, yeah. surprised that they got that song in there. Yeah. There's also, we see 
not one, not two, but three movies playing in the background during the runtime of this mm-hmm. film. So you have Megan's parents watching the, uh, I think it's 1931 Bela Lugosi Dracula, just of an evening. I mean, this film is set in October, so maybe maybe we can do some headcanon and assume that they have a family tradition of watching spooky movies in October. That's the only possible explanation. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess in the late 80s, you probably had more, like, classic movies playing on, like, regular terrestrial TV than you might do now. I don't know. But anyway, so you have that. At one point, uh, Megan and Annie watch... Dirty Dancing, which, you know, fair enough, it is the late 80s. And we also have Back to the Future, which I guess I guess if you're feeling super generous, and, you know, why not, then you, you can think that's the filmmakers going, aha, a, a nod to a, a time travel movie. Haha, how clever are we? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I do feel like it's probably foolhardy of the movie to be kind of inviting comparison to three movies that are way yeah, better. Yeah, like, world's better. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I feel like it was their attempt to, like, be like, this is this time period, we are in the 80s. Mm. Like, because yeah, there was no other indication other than, like, maybe some set design, but, like, they don't discuss at all, like, the fall of the Soviet Union that's about to happen or, like, any of the current no. political context. Yeah, which I mean, in a in a way, I I can kind of understand because I suppose what we should say is, I probably should have brought this up earlier. But who do we think this movie is actually for? I think it's probably. I mean, I think it's aimed at like little girls and like suburban America. Yeah, very much. I would think it's like preteen preteen girls because I, I guess they tend to have like heroines who are slightly older than the age of the mm-hmm. intended audience so they they're kind of looking up to them but yeah i think in that context like a lot of the decisions to not get into the heavy politics yeah. make sense but then like why have a story that's in any way connected to the russian revolution because that's pretty much as heavy a <laughs> political yeah. topic as you can have i guess it's just they like the idea of of having Anastasia as a princess and it's kind of like well we want her so we kind of have to build everything around that oh my goodness also I feel like the movie is maybe kind of invoking Hocus Pocus with its Halloween sequences a little bit so yeah we have we have Megan and Annie hanging out at a Halloween party and they go through a a haunted maze and the only reason I bring this up is that uh uh, I think the writers really missed a trick in that whole haunted maze by not having a spectre of communism appear because that was <laughs> yeah, they clearly was like, clearly should have had that. It would have been genius, <laughs> or the Red Scare or something. Yeah. Come on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. That that would have worked. Maybe we should just make this movie over again. <laughs> it would be like so much better. Yeah, I- I'm. I'm disappointed that they didn't come to us to like punch up the script because yeah, know, I think I think it's nearly there. There's a few kind of flourishes, and I mean it'll be like at Sundance next year. <laughs> uh, where where do we even go from here? Uh, I just feel like it was less of like a movie and more of a series of painfully uncomfortable things that just happen. Like they're just kind of events. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's. A very loose plot thread tying it together, but it's it will yeah. kind of snap at any moment. Yeah, absolutely. Would you recommend this to people to watch as like a campy, ridiculous, fun thing to watch, or does it not even qualify for that? Honestly, like, I mean, I'm a bad movie enthusiast. Like, I love terrible movies, and like, I thought a lot about whether or not this has any like value in that. And I honestly, like, I don't think it does mm. because like, <laughs> so no, to answer your question, because <laughs> like, enough. I don't know, with like terrible movies, there's often a kind of innocence in them and like an earnestness, like they're really trying, mm. but like, it just sucks. But like with this, you can kind of see, I mean, there's none of that. There's no fun. There's no joy. It's just like. The actors are kind of dead inside. You can, like, pretty much tell. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely um, it's definitely lacking some glee. I thought at times maybe uh, Megan's mum was having some fun with it, but. Yeah. I did like the Mean Girls. I feel like those were the best part. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, because that was one of the things that uh, that unites Megan and Annie is the fact that neither of them has yeah. any friends. I think that's the whole reason that we have the line earlier on of Nicholas saying to Rasputin, "Sometimes I think you are her only friend." In and all the Russian accents are like sub Borat. <laughs> it should be said. Yeah. Just as a side note, sometimes I like couldn't understand what they were saying. <laughs> Mm, yeah, yeah, that's that's actually um, uh, a thing. Definitely, I should should have also mentioned is particularly in the early Russia sequences. Is the mixing is so bad that like the terrible schmaltzy music is often like turned up so high you can't really make out the dialogue. Which in some ways is a mercy, but it's also kind of annoying that it's like this might yeah. be important. <laughs> but is any of it really important? <laughs> it probably isn't, but. No, no. <laughs> so as far as like treatments of historical figures, I mean, we talked a, bit, a little bit about how we can kind of understand why Russians would be upset. But at the same time, I think that's almost like taking the movie mm-hmm. too seriously. Um, do you have other examples of movies that are actually good that take a very like to put it mildly like revisionist <laughs> take on a, on a historical figure. I mean it bears mentioning that, you know, there's the Anastasia cartoon uh which is like actually mm. I watched it last night because I haven't watched it since I was like a child. Oh, okay, I've never actually seen it. I've only seen odd okay. bits and bobs. Yeah, I mean, it's a good movie, you know, it's just like a little cartoon. Mm. Um but I mean, I think the difference with that is that like there's a compelling heroine like that Anastasia, like, she's mm. kind of, like, independent and feminist and, like, she doesn't need, like, a man or anyone to, like, find out who she is. Whereas, like, this Anastasia mm. is just, like, uh, what's a flashlight? <laughs> like, Yeah. she's She is a bit helpless. But anyway, so, I mean, I would recommend that instead of this movie a hundred times. Mm. Um, there's... I did some research, and there aren't that many movies actually about, like, the Romanov family that were made by Americans. I guess in 1971, there Mm. was a movie called Nicholas and Alexandra. Yes, we reviewed it for the show, in fact. Oh, nice. And yeah, that's that's at least... That's got its heart in the right place. It's not the greatest, but it's, you know, it's a decent stab at the story. It's at least a good faith try. Yeah, it's more based on, like, the historical biography of them, so... Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was that was the other thing. Like at one point in the story, Annie sees a book that Megan mm-hmm. picks up that is the history of. It was, it was actually actually the title on the book is the history of uh, Romanov's yeah. the family is how it's. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, um, and so annie is flicking through it and presumably discovers the fate of her family and she's just kind of like huh okay like she isn't distraught by the fact that her whole family was murdered she's just kind of like eh, takes it in a stride which was a weird choice on the other hand you know like we were saying this is a movie for like eight nine ten year olds so maybe having like massive amounts of grief over an atrocity is is a bit heavy but i don't know i feel like some kids movies do touch on like parent death and grief and stuff in age appropriate ways so yeah yeah it's like honestly it's like if you took anne frank to like the future and had her learn about the holocaust and be like oh that sucks let's go to the mall (laughs) (laughs) I mean, okay, it's a different scale of tragedy, but like, kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's in the general ballpark of inappropriateness. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But um, yeah. In terms of other movies, uh, let's see. I haven't actually seen this movie, but there's this movie called Matilda that's about like Nicholas II's love affair. Oh yeah, I really want to see that. That caused quite a stir in Russia. I think when it was, it was released, yeah, yeah, very controversial. Yeah. But it looks like it's up my alley for sure, because mm. it's like historical, salacious romance. <laughs> Gets me every time. Um, there's also Russian Ark, which is 
just a beautiful movie. I mean, it's the one where they shot it in one scene in the Hermitage. Yes. Uh, one take that rather. Yeah, we covered it. We covered it earlier this year. And it's an incredible, just incredible technical achievement, but, but also it's, it's just kind of magical as well. Yeah. For a thing that's actually <laughs> had access to the interior of the, of, of the Winter Palace. <laughs> I know. Oh my god, that's another thing. They couldn't even like CGI the Winter Palace. They had this like budget, like I don't even know what that was. Yeah, it's just some fancy building. Yeah, I mean the the only like nod to let you know that it's in in Russia is we do see like the CGI version of the cathedral on the spilled blood, um, mm-hmm. which I mean, obviously with the budget of this thing, they couldn't <laughs> they couldn't have afforded to go to Russia and film in st petersburg no but uh yeah at one at one point we were we had to like pause it and and check that they hadn't actually like accidentally put st basil's in the background of you know st petersburg uh like in a, right. in a later shot but it's like no okay i think that is still the cathedral on the spilled blood so we'll give it a pass but <laughs> definitely wouldn't have put it past this movie to have St. Basil's Cathedral turning up in, in St. Petersburg. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so other, like, Russia-related or Russian movies you would recommend? Um, I mean, some of just, like, my personal favorites. I mean, Moscow Doesn't Believe in Tears and The Irony of Fate for, like, Soviet Russian movies are great. Mm, definitely. Literally anything by Tarkovsky is going to be, like, long and, like, very meditative, but, like, beautiful and, like, really just powerful like it makes you like think so much mm, yeah yeah yeah. also uh the most recent anna karenina with kira knightley yeah i need to give that I a liked revisit it. yeah um i i unfortunately watched it on a plane and just was very very jet lagged so i remember it just the visuals being gorgeous but yeah 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 that's definitely on the list to cover at some point on here but um no it's a good movie yeah definitely be interested to find out what russians think about that interpretation as they <laughs> nearly always have strong feelings when uh when western studios you know interpret their literature yeah it's their culture yes uh awesome well thank you for those recommendations yeah. and yeah thank you very much for for joining me on this uh <laughs> adventure into <laughs> <laughs> very low-grade cinema no i mean i'm always down to watch terrible art even if it's actually terrible yeah so um if listeners want to say hi and recommend more crummy movies for your viewing pleasure how can they get hold of you well i'm on twitter at sam burkhead you can always tweet me out there and um my email address is on that as well which is s.burkhead at moscowtimes.com so yeah Get in touch. Cool. Thanks very much. All right. So that's it for this episode. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, das Vidania, folks. Das Vidania. So that's it for this episode. But before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovic and the highly skilled migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. That second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes, so if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you, thank you very much. Speaking of social media, please find us and say hi on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also drop us a line at roosfilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, take care of yourselves, and bye for now. Hashtag PodRevDay. That's P-O-D-R-E-V-D-A-Y. Hi, this is Flavia Marfella. I host Small Talks at Midnight. Hi, my name's Ali Pitts, and I host the Roost Files Unite movie podcast. 
Hey, this is Garrett Godfrey with the Good Patron Podcast. Our challenge to you right now is to think about your favorite podcast, why you love them, and what you want to say in your review or reviews. Then, write them, share them, and follow the rest. Podcast Review Day. Celebrated on the eighth day of every month. We get to thank the podcasters that make the shows we love by posting reviews. We get to spread the word by sharing those reviews on social media. We get to discover new shows by following hashtag hashtag on social media and seeing the reviews that other folks are sharing. Hashtag PodRevDay. That's P-O-D-R-E-V-D-A-Y. Because podcasters deserve to hear it. Okay, one quick announcement before I disappear. As you may already know... If you're listening from the UK, you can now support the show by picking up a book from our bookshop.org affiliate store, which includes a selection of books that I have personally curated, if you like. Naturally, there's a section on Russian history, including My Favourite, Russia and the Russians by Geoffrey Hoskin. And there's also a couple of titles on Rasputin, believe it or not. Must admit, haven't checked either of them out, but I had a look at the reviews and they sound like they're pretty solid, which is more than you can say about the history in the film that we just watched for this episode. So yes, you can find the link to the bookshop in the show notes to this episode and in the bio for our various social media profiles. Please do check it out and let me know what you think. Okay then, bye for now.